The Lot Teaser Making serious a lot easier This podcast is powered by Faria de Oliveira Advogados Law Firm Don't feel fine. Whoa, what a week, right? We know we are sick of it, but coronavirus is still a huge topic, especially now. The World Health Organization, WHO, declared last week that COVID-19 is now officially a pandemic, a global pandemic. What does that even mean, first of all? A pandemic is an epidemic that crosses frontiers affecting different countries and continents and a large number of people. Of course, factors as globalization and easy access to transportation have contributed for spreading this virus. And an epidemic is an increased number of cases of the same disease within a country's borders. So, it has been a pandemic for a long time. Why declare it only now? According to the WHO Director General, they have been reluctant to call it because of panic, fear, or countries just giving up. However, because of the alarming numbers, especially in Italy, and how fast it has spread all over Europe and all over the world, as well as late measures and inaction, it was time to call it by its name. WHO also declared that now Europe is the new epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic. And we can say that European Union law has some responsibility here. Well, don't take us the wrong way. We are a huge European Union fan, and we are still hurt about Brexit and all, but let's explain. The European Union, which has a constitutional legal basis since 2009 with the Treaty of Lisbon, has established a long time ago a single market among its member states in which freedom of movement is a revolutionary concept between different jurisdictions, with no border control whatsoever, known as the Schengen Area. This freedom of movement includes goods, services, capital and people, all framed under the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union. And that was kind of the problem. Because there is no internal border control among EU member states and Italy's outbreak spread the virus to many, many countries, but especially to EU member states. But good news, according to this treaty, it is considered shared competence between the EU and its member states, the common safety concerns in public health matters, which is our case. What about the borders? States can reintroduce border control in exceptional cases and during a certain period of time. And this is definitely one of them. So has happened. Austria, Slovenia and Switzerland, this latter is only a Schengen signatory, have either closed or limited their borders access with Italy. Well, Italy is under a lockdown now. However, EU states have now begun implementing several public health measures because, again, WHO declared that Europe is now the epicenter of this pandemic. 
Portugal declared a state of alert, closing schools, universities, museums, and historic buildings, in addition to limiting people's access to restaurants and shopping centers. Soon, it might declare a state of emergency. France closed schools, universities, as well as restaurants. Spain, the second country with most cases in Europe, declared state of emergency and common borders between Portugal and Spain are now closed for tourism and leisure as well as air traffic. Norway has closed its ports and airports. In addition, Germany, Poland and Czech Republic closed their borders as well. Just as the European Commission has decided today to temporarily restrict non-essential travel to the European Union, since coronavirus is present in all 27 member states. But other third countries have taken measures as well. The US declared national emergency prohibited flights from the Schengen area countries for a period of 30 days. Australia announced $1.6 billion investment on their public health system. Iran has released 70,000 prisoners to fight the dissemination of coronavirus, as well as the G7 summit, which includes Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, the United States and the European Union, will happen virtually and no longer in the state of Pennsylvania. Not to mention that most of the sports, cultural business events have been cancelled wherever it would be. Calling it a global pandemic, countries have taken a higher level of responsibility in order to act and to stop from spreading for once and for all. The WHO mentioned that, quote, all countries can still change the course of this pandemic. The problem is that we are not prepared to deal with this pandemic. Health systems are extremely fragile, as well as the huge impact that this has over the global economy. Back in 2015, Bill Gates said exactly that in a TED talk. Listen to him. It's chilling. So next time we might not be so lucky. Uh, you can have a virus where people feel well enough while they're infectious that they get on a plane or they go to a market. The source of the virus could be a natural epidemic like Ebola or it could be bioterrorism. And so there are things that would literally make things a thousand times worse. In fact, let's look at a model of a virus uh, spread through the air uh, like the Spanish flu uh, back in 1918. So here's what would happen. It would spread throughout the world very, very quickly. And you can see there's over 30 million people die from that epidemic. So this is a serious problem. We should be concerned. This is unprecedented. So if you can, stay home work from home, study from home, distance yourself from others. Now is the time to save yourself and others. But in case you are getting lonely, definitely download the House Party app. It's a new way to stay closer to family and friends. March is Women's History Month. As we 
mentioned on our episode "I Am Superwoman," March is Women's History Month, and this week we'll be talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg (R.B.G.). Not only was her birthday last week turning 87 years old, she still has an active professional life. She's currently Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, appointed by President Bill Clinton, and has a stunning life path. She is the second woman to have reached this high court after Sandra Day O'Connor. RBG is known to dedicate her legal career on gender equality and women's rights, so it makes sense to talk about her. She was one of the only nine women in a class of 500 men at Harvard Law School, where the dean asked them why were they in Harvard occupying a place of a man. Whoa. She later transferred to Columbia Law School when her husband took a job in New York City. Being one of the top students, both in Harvard and Columbia, after becoming a lawyer, she faced a lot of discrimination. She could not find a job based on the fact that she was a woman. She later became a professor at Rutgers Law School, earning less than her male colleagues, and in the 70s she co-founded the Women's Rights Law Reporter the first U.S. journal to focus on women's rights. She taught at Columbia, co-designing a case book on gender discrimination. She co-founded the Women's Rights Project at the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, in which she argued six gender discrimination cases before the Supreme Court, winning five. She had a legal strategy. Not only RBG represented males and females in order to demonstrate that both were being harmed, she targeted specific discriminatory statutes instead of requiring the Supreme Court to end all laws which discriminated both men and women. As a Supreme Court justice, she wrote the court's opinions in many cases. Among them is the United States versus Virginia case, in which the Virginia Military Institute could not prohibit women to join them, based solely on gender criteria, according to the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. For more information about RBG, watch the RBG documentary or the movie on the basis of sex. What a woman! That was it! Hope you enjoyed the legal issues of last week. TLT is excited to see you next Monday. Always making serious a lot easier.